Hi, before we start with the main topic, I would like to introduce this project. CodeExpands.com is our attempt at creating a new learning environment to learn about computer programming and computer science. When I was starting this journey, and I am still on this journey, I often feel lost and confused. And I had great teachers and books and courses, but I still feel that I'm missing some other ways to explore complex ideas. Sometimes things become much clearer once I put them in different form. Like maybe I visualize something, or I make an animation, or I write something down in a particular format. Codexpands.com is our attempt at giving all sorts of different explanations of complex ideas and learning from the ground up. So our main thing is the website where we have courses, but those aren't just regular online courses. Those courses include many different types of information so that we can kind of attack a single complex idea from different angles, explain in different ways, because people are different, explain using different mediums. There are videos, there are animations, there are serious drawings, and there are less serious drawings. There are audio and ebooks and videos and interactive exercises, both simple in the browser and real more complex on your computer. And the idea of this podcast is to provide one particular type of information, audio, to-go information, but still explain some complex ideas. Of course, podcast alone is not enough to learn everything about computer science and computer programming, but this whole project is meant to be explored from different angles. And one of the angles and one of the ways I learn a lot today is audiobooks and podcasts. When I walk, when I wash dishes, when I work out, And I think it's a good opportunity to explain something, even though it's not as powerful as maybe a visual explanation. In some ways, it's even more powerful because just having the sound makes you, makes your brain create new connections, some visuals that only you can create for yourself. So in this first episode, we're going to talk about HTTP and the way web works. If you have two computers in your room, like you have a laptop and then some desktop computer, and you want to get a file, a document from the big computer onto your laptop, what are your options? Well, you can maybe use something like a USB thumb drive, copy the file that way, or maybe physically remove the hard drive, the data storage device from the big computer and somehow connect it to your laptop. Now, this is a common problem, and people had this problem from the very beginning. Back in the 50s and 60s, when they had first computers, they thought, hey, we maybe need to somehow connect them. And they just used cables, some wires to connect them, and they created some new ways of interacting between computers. And it turned out to be really handy. Not only can you move files between computers, you can also move instructions You can maybe have a weak computer and a really powerful computer downstairs. And from a weak computer, you can ask the powerful computer, give it an instruction to make some calculations and then get the result back using the same wire. So organizations all over the country, it was mostly in the United States and Europe, organizations started making their own networks in their buildings. And then someone thought, hey, Maybe we should somehow connect those different networks into like a bigger network. 
interconnected network and that's what internet is it's just a bunch of computers connected into networks and then connected into bigger networks it's a network of networks the web emerges from this network when it's used to deliver certain types of information. So you can think of the internet as mostly hardware. It's mostly cables and wires and some networking devices that make it all work. And the web is a bunch of computer programs, apps running on different computers that are connected to this network of networks. And those apps use this connection to send and receive information to basically talk to each other. Web browsers like Google Chrome or Safari or Firefox are the most common types of web clients that you work with every day. And the internet is the underlying infrastructure, the transport network that is used by those apps. You can think of the internet as the system of roads and highways and traffic lights and think of the web as the postal service. The postal service uses the roads, they use this transport infrastructure, and they would stop working really if all the roads suddenly vanished. But you can't imagine them coming up with some other ways to deliver mail eventually. Often people use those words, the internet and the web, interchangeably, but they mean different things. My computer right now is connected to the internet using Wi-Fi. So I have this Wi-Fi router in my home, and some other devices in my home are connected to it, like my phone and my tablet and TV, etc. This makes it a home network. So I have about 10 devices connected to this one thing, and it makes it a network. Now that network is also connected to the network of the whole apartment complex. This, this whole building has a network, and it's just a bunch of wires running through the walls. The whole building is also connected to like a neighborhood network that's created by my internet service provider. And that network is also connected to the city network and to the country network and to the continental network. And that actually is connected to much thicker but still wires to other continents. Wires literally running on the sea bottom, connecting different continents. It's quite amazing. And we enjoy wireless all the time, be it Wi-Fi or mobile internet connections. But the internet, mostly data-wise, is still a bunch of cables. And it's quite amazing if, if you think about it. Like you can think of a small ant that I place on my router and it starts following the cable. It just starts walking on a cable and it can get to any point on earth basically it can get to you to your computer because you probably have some wires coming out of your wall it can get to some woman in alaska or to the president of the united states in the white house or to the capital of colombia by just following a complex maze of wires millions and millions of miles of cable as you can imagine it takes quite a bit of engineering and maintenance to make it all work but the good news is that as a web developer, you don't really have to think about all that complexity. You can mostly ignore the ins and outs of the internet and treat it as a magical portal. So once you have a connection that works, you just think of the client and the server, two computers connected to the internet, having a portal between them. And you can send whatever you want through that portal, following some rules, of course, and get the response back. And you have no idea how it went and what amazing maze it went through. 
So in order to understand the web, we will look at the simplest web setup possible, two computers trying to speak over the internet. The first thing to understand is what people mean by client or server. A web client and a web server are just computer programs. That's it. Just some apps running on different computers. The thing that makes them a web client or a web server is the way they use this network, the way they use the underlying internet connection to speak to each other. So as I said, a web browser like Google Chrome or Firefox is a web client. It actually is much more, than, but in the core, in the heart of it, it's a web client capable of making web requests. But today, web clients are built in into many different applications. Like maybe you have a game on your phone, but it can also show you a global leaderboard. And it's a small web client inside that game that talks to some server and gets that information from the internet. You can think of a web client as a human client in a restaurant, but it's a kind of a weird restaurant. First, the waiter in that restaurant will never talk to you first. The waiter just stands there. He's kind of shy and he waits diligently for your instructions. Once you say something, the waiter will respond, or at least he'll do his best to respond. While in a restaurant, both you and the waiter follow a certain set of rules, conventions. First of all, you speak the same language, say English, and you are expected to understand each other if you speak this language. You also behave in a way that kind of makes sense in the context of a restaurant. If you say some nonsense, something that doesn't make sense in this context, like, I want to dance with cats while you watch me, the waiter will tell you that he doesn't really understand you. But if you follow the rules, if you do something that makes sense and you ask for something that's on the menu, you will get it and the waiter will be happy to help you. The situation is kind of similar when the web client and the web server speak. They are too expected to use the same language, to follow a certain set of rules, and if they both do that, then the interaction will be successful and the client will get something from the server. There's a set of rules, a common language that both the client and the server must speak. Now, don't confuse this language with programming languages. Programming languages are the languages that programs are written in, created in. This web language is the language that programs speak, that they use to communicate. Languages like that are called protocols, and you can think of them as just sets of rules. And to avoid further confusion with programming languages, I will from now on call them only protocols. So this protocol that the web client and the web server use to speak to one another is called HTTP, and it stands for Hypertext Transfer Protocol. Hypertext is this fancy word with the 90s flavor that just means super awesome text. When they just started, it was just text on the web with links, and links made it hypertext because those are hyperlinks. But then they started adding images and videos and music and animations, and now we have this rich, awesome, fancy websites. This protocol is quite primitive. There are just a bunch of possible things to say and possible ways to answer requests. There are so-called methods, or sometimes called verbs, that the client uses 
to get some information or to send some information to the server. Now, in this simplest scenario, we're going to get some information. And for that, we're going to use the method called get. So assuming this connection is established and we have this magical portal between the client and the server, all we need to do is create some text following the rules of HTTP and send that text from the client to the server. The server only responds. The server doesn't do anything itself. So it just waits and the client initiates this conversation. Everything starts with the client on the web. So the client literally creates some text. You can imagine the client writing it on a piece of paper. And the first thing it has to write is the name of the method. As I said, we're interested in getting something and the method for getting something is called get. So the client writes get and then the thing that it wants to get. Now, in this example, we are trying to get, say, a web page called article.html. It could be anything else. It could be a page with the frequently asked questions, and that would be something like FAQ. But in this example, we need article.html. We assume this is a file that exists somewhere on the server. Then the client needs to specify the version of the HTTP protocol. And the reason for that is the web and the internet evolve over time and we need more and more features. So the protocol for the web client and the web server evolves as well. It changes over time. And every time some change occurs, some something new is added, it's called a new version. So when a client connects to the server and asks for something, they first need to be kind of on the same page. They need to speak the same language and they need to make sure they speak the same language. So when the client makes the request, it says, okay, I am speaking, in this example, HTTP version 1.1. So the server now knows. It needs to respond only in terms of this language because there is HTTP 2.0 and it's a newer version. It has more stuff in it. It's different from HTTP 1.1. So the server needs to respond in the same version so that they can actually understand one another. Now, it would be kind of cool if people did it in the real life. Now imagine someone coming up to you and saying, hey, I'm speaking New York City slang. And then they say something and you kind of know from the start that certain words mean certain things because this is the language they speak. This is the version of the language they speak. Next, following the rules of HTTP, the client must specify what's called a host. Think of it as just a website. And the reason for that is this magical portal made the connection between the client and the server, between two programs running on different computers. The web server running on some remote computer can actually serve multiple websites at the same time. It can be responsible for multiple different websites. So when the client makes that request, it needs to specify what website is it looking for. And that's it. This is the simplest HTTP request, just two lines. And the client just writes those two lines in something like a file. It's not really a file, but you can think of it as a file. And then sends that file through that portal, just pushes it into this magical portal and the server gets it. So let's talk about the server now, the second piece of the puzzle. Once those two lines of text appear from the other side of the magical portal, the server gets it and thinks of it as HTTP request. The job of the server is to read that request, understand it, 
do something as a result and send the response, the answer, back into the same portal. Maybe sometimes you've seen that you try to open a website and it loads and loads and loads and nothing happens. And then the browser says something like request response timeout error or just timeout error. What happened is the web browser being a web client created that kind of request, sent it through the portal and then started waiting for the response. But the response never came. It was waiting and waiting and then it thought, okay, I'm not waiting forever. So I I waited for like two minutes and now I'm done. I'm not waiting anymore. It closes this connection. It, It just bails, closes this magical portal. And even if the server somehow then tries to respond, the client is no longer waiting. This might happen sometimes when the server is overwhelmed. Like in the same restaurant analogy, the waiter has too many clients and it, it just it cannot respond to any client in a reasonable amount of time. Or maybe this connection somehow broke. Somewhere some cable was disconnected. But in a good scenario, a good behaving HTTP server will try to respond. Even if the request is incorrect, it will try to respond and say something like, your request was incorrect. In our example, let's imagine the request was correct, the client was following all the rules of HTTP, and the file it asked for actually exists on the server. It's somewhere on that computer, and the server has access to it, and this article.html is retrieved from the file system by the server application. The server then kind of copies that file and then adds on top of that copy some technical information. It says something like, okay, all good, your request was fine, and I was able to successfully produce the response. Here it is. And by the way, this is the time and the date so that you know what time did I respond and some other information. This kind of thing that prepends the actual data that the client asks for is called headers. And the whole thing, everything packed into one, is called an HTTP response. So the server creates this response with the headers, with all the technical information, packs it into one single thing, and pushes it back into the portal. And it appears on the client. If everything is good, the client is happy. It gets the response and does something with it. After that, the portal disappears. The connection is lost, and the server actually forgets about the client forever. If client wants to do something more, it has to do it all over again. So another thing about this weird restaurant is not only the waiter never asks you anything first, the waiter actually forgets about you forever after a single interaction is done. So if you ask for a particular glass of wine, the waiter brings that wine, but then 10 minutes later you say, hey, can I get another glass of that? The waiter says, what? Who are you again? What's what's happening? The waiter doesn't remember you, doesn't know anything, it doesn't even try to remember. So if you want another glass of wine, you have to completely repeat the order. You need to specify all the details. But your experience as a web user, as someone who uses the web browser every day, is quite different, right? You expect most websites to remember you, and you maybe log in once a month or once a year, And most of other times you just open the browser, even after you restart your computer, it still remembers you. It would be madness if everything worked the way I described. You had to go to Gmail and then log in, put in your username and password, and then you see the list of new emails, and then you click on some email, and you have to log in again. 
every time you click, every time you do something on the web, you have to log in again. That would be crazy. So the server actually kind of somehow remembers you, but it's just a bunch of tricks. In reality, the interaction is like that. The interaction is always from a fresh start. You will learn how this works in the future courses and podcasts. But for now, remember that underlying all these illusions of memory and remembrance, the fundamental interactions between the client and the server are always what's called stateless, meaning it doesn't store any state, it doesn't remember anything. So back to the client, it gets the response and it looks at the headers and it sees, okay, the request was successful. The server says everything is good. It says this is the time, this is something else, this this is just some bunch of technical information for your information, dear web client. And here is the body of the response, the actual thing that the client asked for. In this case, the source code of the article.html file. Now, if it's just a web client, something that just makes the requests and gets the responses, that's it, it's done. It maybe shows it on the screen, but it's just raw HTML file. As a user, you probably want to look at it to see the actual web page. So if you use something like this simple web client and you see that response on your screen, you can copy the HTML text, save it as an HTML file, and then open it in your browser and you will see the page as it was on the server. The web browser does it automatically. So when you put some website.com slash article.html and hit enter, what I just described happens in a fraction of a second. The web browser creates that request, puts all that get and article.html and the version of HTTP and then some website.com as a host sends it through the portal the server responds, the client gets the response, this web browser gets the response, it sees the body of the message, it sees this HTML code, saves it on the disk somewhere, and then opens it, and it happens just in half a second or something. And then on that web page, you have other links or buttons and different things, and you might click something. And once you do, the same thing happens again. And that's the foundation, that's how the web works. There are, of course, a lot of more complex things on top of that. You can not only get information, you can send information, you can encrypt information, you can create a more stable connection to actually maybe remember something and do more than just one request and one response. But at the bottom, at the very foundation of the web, this is what happens. Thousands and thousands of times every day you use a computer. So check out the course and the book. You will actually build the web server and the web client and see in reality how this works. You will simulate the work of a browser and you will understand it more deeply. In the upcoming courses, we will go deeper into other methods and other ways web applications can interact with each other. Until then, bye-bye.